Thank you, Ray. It feels like good cop, bad cop. I'm like, oh, I'll bring Ray back. She's nice. Um, not, this, not this other douchebag who wants to talk about submission. Um, <laughs> I really regret writing that intro now. Um, we, so we're going to get there, but, but we're going to change the topic a little bit to begin with and start somewhere else. I'm really excited about this. We are, we're wrapping up what has been an amazing few weeks um, on relationships uh, with the most important thing. Uh, and I will recap a little bit um, of where we've gone. But have you ever, just as a sort of side thing, have you ever had to tell a story and been repeatedly interrupted? Um, perhaps you're at a briar uh, or at some kind of do, some event, and you have your nice little cocktail party anecdote already. It's funny, not too funny that it looks attention-seeking, but, but funny. Um, and, and you get started, and, yeah, you know, we were on holiday this one time, and, I mean, it was uh, just the most wonderful time, but we were running late for the... Oh, Basil, yeah, no, I was just telling a story um, about the holiday we were on. Yeah, and you should have seen, and then the taxi driver was drunk, and we paid him the money, and he had to use that to go and fill up the... Oh, Eric, yeah, welcome, yeah. I was just telling about the story, uh, holiday, long story, but um, essentially, you know, and then, you, and then there was this cop, and, and look, oh, you have to take that phone call right now. Okay, well, we'll kind of wait. Like, you know this thing, right? You just never get anywhere, and eventually, like, yeah, we made the flight. It's a boring story. It sucks. Like, you just, oh. um, the idea of a sermon series at this church works a little bit like that, um, where it actually builds to a conclusion. Where proper grown-up churches would probably do in one Sunday what we do over four weeks. Um, and so I would really encourage you, if you're not much of a podcaster, then there's a whole world of wonderful stuff about to open up to you uh, if you start to figure out how to use the podcast app on your phone. Um, but particularly so that you can keep up to date with the sermon series going on in your church, so that if you are away, understandably, over some weekends, um, you can still understand where we're at. Because by the time we get to the, the last sermon, um, we're not going to be as, as practical, we're not going to meet a whole bunch of sort of felt needs, we're going to get into some theology. By the time we get to the end of a sermon series, we want to be saying what it is that God is saying to his church, um, and we think we've teed you up for that um, by the time you get to sermon four or five or whatever it is. So that's a really good reason to keep uh, updated with the, with the sermons that are going on, even if you're not here. But for those that have sort of missed it or who, who need a little reminder, um, all the Eric's and Basil's and latecomers in the room, um, we, we We've been looking at relationships, really so difficult to get relationships right, and yet they're unavoidable. Every part of life is actually about relationships as much as it is about anything. And we've been looking at the idea of fairness, particularly that kind of has infused the whole series, um, that if you're fighting for fairness, then that's probably evidence that your, that your highest goal in treating other human beings is tolerance. If all you want to do is tolerate people, then the standard becomes fairness. But if you want to love people, then the standard becomes vulnerability and intimacy, not fairness. Actually being known for your uniqueness becomes the, the standard as opposed to just, well, let's fight for what's fair and what's just. And when you think about it like that, then treating or aiming at fairness as the ultimate is death to relationships. It's actually bad for relationships. Um, we've looked at the fact that in your friendships particularly, we need to move from this quite consumeristic thing that we all do. We dress it up nicely and politely, but we're pretty consumeristic in our relationships. And that just drives a sort of selfish, scary cycle of the way we relate to one another. And Sia was challenging us towards really contributing to people and laying our lives down for people as opposed to just being consumeristic. And then over the last two weeks, we've been looking at boundaries and how trust works and the fact that actually you matter in relationships. Your needs, your hurts, the things that you prefer, your love language, whatever, that stuff matters. You've got to rock up in your relationships as opposed to just 
kind of flowing around and being, you know, the, sort of accommodating the whole time and actually allowing people to build up bitterness in you because they're hurting you in ways that they didn't realize they were hurting you or taking advantage of you in ways that didn't, uh, they didn't realize at the time. And so grace is not the same as tolerance. It's not the same as making excuses for other people, that you're, you matter in the relationship. Um, and so we've said all that sort of stuff, but now we're coming to the crux because if we just as a church preached and taught ourselves how to love each other well, that falls a long way short of what God has in mind for you. I'm not sure if you know this. God wants you to know how to love people well, and he really knows, wants you to know how to receive love well, but you were designed for much more than just loving people. It's really important, but you were designed to connect with God and start to resemble him more. You were designed to glorify him with every part of your life. You were designed to unearth the gifting and talent and potential that he's put inside you and connect it to the calling that he has for each and every one of you to change this world. And it's not too late. You can do it in the next year before you quiche if you're old. You're still absolutely designed to leave this place different from how you arrived when you got here, that your, your impact in this community should be far greater. It won't not be loving people, but it'll be far greater than just loving people, right? And so if you really want to flex the muscles of who you are during the time that you have on this planet, um, then, then there's a little more than just knowing how to do relationships well. And that all comes back to the one most important relationship of all. It's out of that one relationship that everything good in any other relationship you're going to have can flow. It's out of that one relationship that any impact you're going to make in this world can come. It's out of that relationship that any gifts that you're going to express or potential that you're going to release is going to find its fuel. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Your relationship with God is not just a place where you can get some good wisdom in order to apply to other relationships in your life. Because up until now, that's essentially what we've done. We've looked at the Word of God, and we've seen wonderful practical advice for how to make other relationships go well. That's not what your relationship with God is for. In fact, your relationship with God is not even just supposed to be as important as other relationships in your life. This one relationship should so far supersede every other relationship in your life that there should be about 5, 10, 15 open spaces between where he is and where your wife is if you're married, or your kid is, or the most important person in your life. They, they are nowhere near as important for your heart as your relationship with your father is. In fact, every other relationship in your life will only, let me say it this way, you will only have really good things to offer in those other relationships when they are the, the splash back overflow out of this one relationship with God. And I say all of this stuff knowing that most of us will admit to many times not having that relationship with God being particularly strong. And you go, yeah, well, but Paul, I'm still achieving some other good stuff in my life. Arguably, in the short term, it's not sustainable. And it's not necessarily lining up with the call on your life. You can do a lot of good things that are still not the right thing. Hey? And there's some good stuff that potentially you're doing and some good things potentially that you're giving, which you weren't called to do. But the thing you're on this planet for, the way you're supposed to love people, the way you're supposed to impact this community, the way you're supposed to express who you are has to overflow out of the thing that your heart has been crying out for since the first syllable you uttered, which is a relationship with your father. It's what you need more than anything else, whether you know it or not. The other things you think you need, you need less than that. And your heart has been crying out for it from the first squawk you made. And you may have shut it down, and you may have reinterpreted that, and you may have thought it is actually crying out for other things. But all your other desires to make an impact and express yourself and find intimacy and all that other stuff, those desires are important. But your heart has been saying something else even more important. It longs to be connected to your father. And his heart 
as being the, saying the same thing. His heart is longing to connect with yours. And so we're going to talk about how that relationship with God works. Because as much as we all could probably nod and go, yeah, I think I'd like to be connected to God, it does work a little differently from your relationship with everyone else in one fundamental way. In every other relationship you have with human beings, you matter a lot. Who you are matters a lot. All right? In fact, that's what we've been learning over the last four weeks, that you matter, that your needs matter, that you need to turn up and be honest about that stuff. Your values matter in relationships. Stop being a doormat. Learn about boundaries. Learn about all that stuff, okay? You absolutely matter in relationships. In your relationship with God, who you are doesn't really matter. And I want to explain how that works. But in relationships with human beings, if we're going to say you matter, then I don't know if you've done uh, psychological or personality type tests. Have you ever done one of these things? Like, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Do you know about those ideas? If you're an introvert, then you're actually just smiling through gritted teeth already. You've had enough people now. So you're being nice to us, but actually you're just looking forward to being by yourself with your dog so that you can recharge to endure our presence again. Okay? That's probably a caricature. If you're an extrovert, then you're as shallow as all heck, but you're just like energized by being around people. I'm an extrovert. Um, and perhaps you've learned more than just the introvert-extrovert binary thing, but you've learned about the 16 personality profiles that connect to that, how you interact with information, how you make decisions. Apparently, there's 16 different kinds of people you can be. Or maybe you've done the Strength Finder. Have you heard about Strength Finder? Strength Finder says, don't care about your weaknesses. They're not helpful. Stop trying to fix the C. Just go for the thing that you got an A on and put your energy in that. And then it tells you what your strengths are. And you better like what your strengths are because apparently they can't change. Um, and so, but you only, only must think about those. Or maybe you know about love languages. If you're doing the parenting course, you know about love languages now, that you have specific needs and you communicate love in specific ways. And, or maybe none of that stuff makes sense, but you've figured out which Hogwarts school you would attend. <laughs> or, or, or Hogwarts, um, you know, group you'd be in, house, whatever. Or maybe you've worked out, you know, other ways to figure out your personality, which Marvel superhero you connect with the most. That's important information, I'm told. Um, there are many ways to sort of understand who you are. And I'm a big fan. Those tools are really helpful. Here's why. You can only take responsibility for your half of the relationship you're in with someone when you understand what you're bringing. If you don't know who you are, if you don't know what your needs are, if you don't know how you work, it's very hard for you to be anything other than irresponsible in your relationships. Because you're being hurt, and you're asking for stuff, and you're giving things, and you don't know why, and you can be difficult to be in a relationship with. But someone who understands themselves is able to really give what they say they're going to give. They don't blow hot and cold. You know where you stand with people who understand themselves, right? So I think it's great to know who you are. But there is a huge danger here. And I speak as one who is fascinated by these kinds of personality typing things. As I get absorbed with who I am and how I work and the potential wounding I've taken from life and the, you know, the, the pain areas that I have and the needs that I have and what I have to offer, if I can become absorbed with who I am, then you can see how that could quite quickly turn into, well, this is, it just, it is what it is, you know, the most pointless statement in all the English language. It is what it is. This is just who I am. I can't change. Uh, you, what you see is what you get. And your identity can start to be shaped by this historical information about who you've been. Well, I'm just this kind of person. I just have these kinds of relationships. I just need these kinds of things. All I can ever achieve is this kind of stuff. And you can start to really box your identity. And as you crystallize on what your identity is, you've stopped talking about past tense. Because the funny thing about what you believe about yourself is that now we're actually talking about future tense. 
you are who you think you are, and you will be and you will do what you think you will be and do. You know that dreadful sort of fridge magnet thing, if you think you can or you think you can't, either way you're right? Like, if only it wasn't true, because I'd love to boot that statement. It just sounds so obvious. But it is true, isn't it? Your belief about your identity informs your destiny. Who you think you are defines really what you think it's possible for you to become. And so if I get really fixated on my personality typing and who I am so that I can be responsible in my relationships, there's a danger that I might start limiting what God can ever do with me because I'm saying, well, this is just how I am and this is what I need and this is, these are the terms of engagement if you want to have a relationship with Paul, right? And if that's a danger, then the other half of that danger is that I can then use it as an excuse to start telling you exactly what you're supposed to be like. I'm going to spend my life looking for the perfect puzzle piece who's going to fit me just right. And I'm going to spend my life looking for the perfect job that's going to meet, get me my sweet spot, whatever that is. And it's like I'm going to keep on trying to force the world to be exactly what I need it to be. And I begin to control others. It's like, well, this is just who I am. It can't be changed. And so not only do I limit what God can ever do with me, I limit what kind of relationships I can ever have. Does this make sense? That it seems absolutely necessary for me to know who I am. And at the same time, it seems absolutely necessary for me to not care about who I am. And I don't know if anyone else is feeling this tension, but for me, that's a tension. If I'm going to allow God to do unexpected stuff, I can't get fixated on who I've been historically. I need to still be open to the possibility of God changing me and changing the relationships I have. But at the same time, if I don't know who I am, then I'm going to be totally irresponsible in my relationships and blow hot and cold. How do we deal with this tension? Okay. And this is where this one amazing relationship starts to really become important. Because in your relationship with God, as I mentioned, who you are doesn't really matter. And I want to show you a place where this plays out where this relationship can now start to overflow into your purpose and your other areas of life. And it's one of the most magnificent moments of interaction between God and a human being. God has been dealing with human beings for a long time. Many, 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 many people have had relationships with God. But this one interaction between God and a human being, fortunately, was eavesdropped on by a bloke called John. He did this quite a lot. And, um, and recorded for us. And you get to see playing out how it works in the, in the interface between who God is and who you are in your relationship with him. Because, as I said, most of us get quite clear on who we are, and then we get kind of crystallized there. Watch what goes on here. This is from John chapter 4. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Okay, I want you to try and use your imagination. It's midday. That's important. You'll see why later. Hot, dusty, midday, Jesus gets to a well. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. This is quite a controversial moment, actually. You probably wouldn't notice it in today's social norms. Jesus has, first of all, as a Jewish man, walked through Samaria. That's a shortcut that most folks didn't take because the Samaritans were a sort of weird offshoot of Judaism who believed some slightly funky theology. And although they were probably only 10 degrees different over time, that starts to really matter. And they diverged a long way um, from accurate theology. And so Jews were skeptical of these guys. And then, as is always the case, when you think you're right and you think someone else is wrong, they were then very judgmental towards the Samaritans. And it wasn't friendly. And the Samaritans were like, no, actually, we've got it right. The Jews are just a bunch of stuck-up no-goods. And so for a Jewish 
crowd to walk through Samaria was unlikely. Then Jesus, a single man by himself, engages in conversation with a single woman by herself. This is maybe not quiet, but not that different to Jesus starting to scroll Tinder right now. It's like, whoa, don't do that. Don't do that, Jesus. Don't look at her. Don't speak to her. Don't swipe left or right or whichever one you... Don't admit that you know that. Um, but the, um, the, the point is, this is quite risque for Jesus to engage in conversation with a single dodgy, flipping Samaritan. Okay? And interestingly, not only does he engage with her, but he then asks her to meet a need of his. This is strange for a whole other set of reasons. right? Jesus can meet every need. Jesus can fill up doggy bags for 3,000 people on the school trip. There's, Jesus can calm the storm. The, the fact that Jesus asks someone to meet a need of his is fascinating. The all-sufficient God of the universe, when he wants to engage in a relationship with someone, gives them an opportunity to meet his needs. Interesting. Because many of us, when we want to engage in relationship with people, the last thing we want to admit is that we have any needs, right? What we're consistently doing is actually condescending to the other person, saying, well, let me try to meet your needs. I'm fine. Newsflash, if you want to connect with people, if you want to grow in any kind of relationship with people, let them know how they can meet some needs for you. If Jesus had to do it, it'll work for you as well. And as we start to meet people's needs, we give them an opportunity to get connected to us. There's another interesting question here. What relationships have we possibly missed out on because we've not been prepared to meet needs? There's a relationship possible for this lady with Jesus if she's prepared to meet a need for him. Could there be a relationship possible for you and God or a a deepening of your relationship with God if you're prepared to meet some needs for him? And we know how God's needs look at the moment. He says, well, if anyone comes to you hungry, that's actually me coming to you. If anyone comes to you thirsty, that's actually me coming to you. If someone's lonely and outcast and you look after them, you're actually looking after me. So God's gone, there are needs out there, and when you meet them indirectly, you're meeting them for me. I wonder how our relationship might grow more quickly and more deeply with God if we're prepared to meet some needs. Interesting side comment, right? So Jesus asked her to meet needs for him. I'd like some water. And he's taking a big risk. And the Samaritan woman knows this. So she says in verse 9, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? You are and I am. See, that's what our mania for self-understanding gets us to. I am and you are statements. I am young. You are old. How could we have a relationship? I am black. You are white. How can we trust one another? I am poor. You are rich. I, whatever. I, there are all these sort of, I am, you are. I have all this baggage. All these things are wrong with me. This is who I am. Therefore, this is impossible. You are a crossfitter. I am a human being. How, how are we supposed to... Um, I am, you are statements. That's how we work. Even if you don't recognize that you use exactly that vocabulary, that's what we do. We're always trying to figure out who I am in comparison to who else is in the room. Who stacks up where? Who has more? Who has less? The pecking order. We're comparing. And so this lady immediately engages in that kind of conversation with Jesus. Well, you're one thing and I'm another thing. So how are you expecting this to work? And interestingly with God, I am, you are kind of statements don't hold any water. He just plows straight on through. He doesn't even acknowledge that. In fact, what he's about to expose is that who she thinks she is and who she thinks he is is totally wrong. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This is the big point I want us to eventually get to at the end of the sermon, so you can sort of hear this and then zone out from here on out. Who you think you are, you're probably wrong about that. Who you think God is, you're probably wrong about that. And you having any chance of fulfilling your destiny and expressing all this wonderful stuff we spoke about at the beginning and having great relationships starts in this relationship where you allow God to redefine who you actually are. Because who you think you are as you arrive in the relationship doesn't matter a jot. He's going to tell you, no, you think you're this, you're actually that. And then he's going to reveal to you who he actually is, which you didn't know before. And as you start to understand who he is and who you are, life can start to flow out of that relationship. That's why it is so important. Until you've got that relationship right, you won't have a clue who you actually are. You'll be thinking too highly or too lowly of yourself or some combination of the two. And so that's what this lady has started on. You're this, I'm that. And Jesus goes, if you actually knew who I was, and you'll see in a moment, he's going to start saying, and if you really knew who you were, this whole thing would go differently. I could give you living water. You could be sustained out of this. Now, this woman's no fool, right? So she says in verse 11, sir, you've you don't have a bucket. <laughs> How are you going to get me water? You, you don't have anything to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So she's suspicious of Jesus. And then she sort of throws in the fact that actually we're different. She kind of reinforces their differences with a slightly kind of put-down comment. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So she's still speaking in past tense, history. And what gives her a reason to feel secure? Well, I'm from the group of people who live around Jacob's well, and we've got all these great things going on in our past. Trying to distance, trying to compare, okay? Hope you can see that we often do this as well. Uh, And God's going, no, you don't know who you are. Stop talking past tense. And you don't really know who I am. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him and said, I'll have some of that. (laughs) Sounds good. So give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to drink, or she had to draw water. And what's interesting here is she is starting to realize she needs help. Before we get into the fact that she's slightly missing the point, this is exactly where God wants her. This is exactly where God wants you. When you start to realize you need his help. Because as much as the relationship starts with Jesus saying, hey, could you meet a need of mine? All he actually wanted to do was get her to the point where she realized she needed him to meet a need of hers. And it could just possibly be that some of the struggles in your life, some of the failings and weaknesses and sin habits that you have, some of the pain that's coming at you from outside, some of the unjust, unfair stuff that's going on, all right? the struggle and pain in your life is your best possible opportunity to go deeper in your relationship with God, and yet we waste our pain. We waste our pain because we think this is something to be managed. This is probably my fault. I need to sort this out. I need to quickly fix this and keep this from God's attention, and I've got this under control. And the point of my life, without noticing it, what I'm actually saying is the point of my life is just to be pain-free. So let me just get rid of it. The point of your life is to have this hugely deep, intimate relationship with God. That relationship is supposed to be the most passionate, most intimate, most trusting relationship. And out of that, everything else can flow. This streams of living water thing that Jesus is talking about. Which means if that's the goal, then I start interpreting pain and struggle and difficulty as... Well, who cares whose fault this is? This is an opportunity for me to grow deeper with God. What can Jesus be for me right now? What need can I offer him? Hey, I need some help. And so this lady has started to go, okay, Jesus, I need some help. 
will you give me this water? And then, beautifully, the thing that will happen if you have the wisdom to start noticing that you need some stuff from God is you will then say, God, I need this. And God is going to suggest to you that in fact, the thing you think you need is not the thing you actually need. The thing that you think your problem is, is not actually your problem. Your problem is something else. Your need is something else. And it's the kindest thing he can do, right? So she started to go, right, God, I need something from you. And he says, brilliant. You need some help? Just go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Please don't think Jesus is being cruel here. This is incredibly kind what he's doing. He came to start talking about water with a woman who is actually deeply thirsty, and he's now starting to help her understand exactly what her need is. This lady has been rejected five times. The human soul was not designed to experience rejection at all. And you've all experienced your fair share of it, and you know the scar tissue that it causes to build up. She's been rejected so many times, so much scar tissue has built up inside her, that now she is prepared to be used, and the man you are currently living with is not your husband. In other words, you've not required of this guy anything to be in a relationship with you. He doesn't have to hold up, any end of his, his, hold up his end of the relationship in any way. So she's been rejected, rejected, rejected. Now she's allowing herself to be used without getting anything in return in her relationships. And she's an outcast. How do we know that? She's collecting water at noon. No one collects water at noon. The ladies go to collect water in the early morning and in the cool of the evening. No one collects water at noon, which means she's gone along at the normal time to collect water and noticed the tut-tut and the cough and the look away and the side conversation and recognized, I'm not welcome here, and has to go and collect water at another time. This woman is hurting. She has a deep thirst somewhere other than she initially thought she had it. And so in starting to ask, okay, God, I'll have this water, Jesus shifts the conversation and says, what you think you need is not actually what you need. You think you need that promotion. Believe me, that's not actually what you need. Would you come and trust me to ask you the questions to help you figure out what you actually need? You think you need that spouse. You think you need to just be apologized to for that thing. You think you need someone to just tell you you were right about that issue. What you think you need is not what you actually need. Will you trust your father enough to take you on a journey to figure out the thing that he then desperately wants to help you with? And yet, despite all this subtle, gentle, loving stuff that Jesus has been doing to get her to this point, she does what we all do. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Theology, changing the subject, making it about some other debate. Anytime God starts to put his finger on things with us, Our natural tendency is to try and change the subject and make it about some other debate, who's right, who's wrong, isn't it? Oh, God, this is getting a little personal. This is starting to expose something in me. Let's have an argument about how grace works. Let's have an argument about how church should work. Let's have an argument about whose fault this actually is, who's right and who's wrong, as opposed to just being brave enough to stay there and trust God enough to help you figure out what your need really is so that he can then meet it. Why on earth would we not want to stay there? But for some reason, we don't. We want to admit that actually this need is not my fault, it's someone else's fault. No, this theology is not quite right, it's actually that theology. Like, stop that. And I speak as one who enjoys doing a good old debate and a lot of theology and is convinced that the thing he can offer to the world most is the fact that he's right. <laughs> okay? So like, I'm painful to be married to and I'm having to be redeemed out of this thing. But those of us who want to fight most about who's right and about theology and about how church should work and doctrine, often 
let me not say always, but often the people who are most keen on those doctrinal type conversations are the ones who are most desperately trying to change the subject from the thing God actually wants to deal with us on. Of course, truth matters. But your relationship with God matters so much more. And I hope that you can notice that when something is coming to a head in your relationship with God, it's often the case that we will change the subject to being about truth and rightness and, and the past. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let's not get caught up on the color of the walls of the church or the kind of songs they sing or who gets to speak when or who's in what position or whatever. Like, let's, let's remain totally uninterested in that stuff because the thing that is most interesting, the relationship that's most important in your life, the one that should be most passionate, most intimate, most full of trust is your relationship with your father. And if he starts to put his finger on something, do not change the subject. Fortunately for this woman, once again, Jesus just parries that and continues to go after her heart. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter. Let's talk about the future. Let's talk about where we're going. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. What Jesus is saying is this is going to go from being some external thing where outside authority figures tell you what's right and what's wrong, and you go through the, the forms and formalities of worship. And this is going to be something where you actually know God. You're not going to worship some idea. You're not going to worship through some intermediary. You're going to worship who you know. The issue here is not whether the Jews or Samaritans were right or wrong. The point Jesus is making is you're going to know him. You should want to know him much more than you should want to be right. You should want to know him. That's what's most important. That's where everything else flows out of. Do you want to know him? Do you want to know him as, as intimately and as deeply as you know anyone on earth? Because most of us don't all of the time, and yet Jesus keeps on making the point, that's what's most important. And now something beautiful starts to happen. He's done all this work to help her figure out what her need is, what the thirst that really needs quenching is. He started to prove to her that all this other stuff doesn't matter. Stop talking about the past. Stop talking about who you are. Stop talking about formal things. Who you are right now doesn't matter. And then she subtly starts to wonder, could it be? There's something different about this guy. Could it be? I've heard a rumor, I've, heard, I've been taught as a kid that God is going to someday come back and connect with us and form a deep relationship with us. This Messiah, this Christ, whoever he is, he's apparently coming back. And so she just, just tentatively just throws it out there. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. It's not even really a question. She doesn't even put a question mark on the end of it. She just sort of just slides it out there. And I want you to try and imagine this incredible moment what Jesus is just about to say you're at a well somewhere it's dusty you're thirsty you've had this really quite uncomfortable conversation with this wild-eyed guy who's telling you things about yourself and putting his finger on stuff inside you that no one else has ever been given permission to put their finger on and you're starting to sense he knows me and that's terrifying but it's hugely comforting at the same time to finally be known and and so you're kind of asking, are you potentially Jesus? Imagine this is you, right, asking, asking the question. And Jesus looks back at you and says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. That the God of the universe is actually standing in front of you saying, the thing you need, the relationship your heart has been crying out for since your first squawk, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm all in. 
I'm available to you. And the amazing Bible joke that Jesus is making here is that God has always called himself I am. That's his most intimate nickname that he's given to his people, that they could call him Yahweh, that they could call him the I am. Jesus is saying who you are, and friends, right now he is saying to you, who you are couldn't matter less. What matters most in this relationship is not who you are, but who I am, who Jesus is. And allow your imagination to just deal with the spiritual truth of the fact that God is standing in front of you saying, yes, there's past tense and there's personality types and you've been treated unfairly and you've been rejected. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. That's not the point. And yes, you have failings. And yes, I know that you have blind spots. I don't care. I am. I'm here. And I want to have a relationship with you. I want to connect with you. I want to be the most intimate, most trusting, most passionate relationship of all the relationships in your life. And as you connect in this relationship, the one relationship where it really doesn't matter who you, you are, he will start to say, you know, the things you thought about yourself actually weren't true. And the things you thought about me actually weren't true. Let me show you who I've really designed you to be. And let me show you who I really am and what my heart is really full of. And as you understand the contents of God's heart, the contents of your heart will change. And out of that overflow, every other relationship, every other destiny on your life, all the callings, all the skills, all the things you want to do, all the legacies you want to leave can flow out of that. This is the center. I know you want to have great relationships. You know that person that you feel safe around, where they are so secure that you know what you're going to get. I hope you know someone like this, where it's just... They're going to love you. And there's no hidden agendas, and they're not going to blow hot and cold. And I know you want to be like that person. And I know you want people to feel noticed when they're around you. And I know you want to leave a mark on this planet. I know you do. You were designed to leave a mark on this planet. You want to fix some things that are broken. You want to fulfill your potential. I know you don't want to die wondering, if I'd just taken that risk, could something glorious have come out of me? but I just didn't think I'd be appreciated. I didn't think it would work. I didn't think people were ready for it, so I I kept it a secret. And I know you want to have some kind of legacy that people aren't just going to miss you when you're gone, but that you're going to have ended addiction in your generation, that you're going to have made something beautiful, that you're going to have adopted a child or fathered or mothered a child who's going to be set up to glorify God for the rest of their lives. I know that you want to build a church or a business that creates the kingdom of heaven on earth. I know you want to leave a legacy. I know that you want to glorify God with what you're doing. All of that stuff's great. None of it will happen outside of the thing your heart has been crying out for since the very beginning, if you'll just listen to it. You need, absolutely you need, to be connected to your Father. That relationship matters more than all of the others. Nothing good will flow into those other parts of your life until this is the wellspring. Where the most passionate, most intimate, most trusting relationship you have with anyone is your relationship with God. And the one final comment I'd like to make is that in every other relationship, it makes sense for you to have boundaries. Because who you are matters in those relationships, right? So it makes sense for you to let people know how much you're managing to trust them in that moment and what you need from them and so on. Your relationship with God, it doesn't make sense to have boundaries. It doesn't make sense to be holding him at arm's length in any area. It's okay to be honest about the fact that many of us do that. 
God is not afraid of you saying, hey, I've been keeping you out of this area. Hey, I'm scared in that area. Hey, I'm not sure if I trust you in that area. But he has gone to extraordinary lengths and great cost to prove to you that he is trustworthy and that he loves you. This is the one relationship where it doesn't make sense to have boundaries, where you can make yourself absolutely vulnerable, where you can allow yourself to be influenced totally by him. And I know for me that the degree to which the rest of my life is going to go well is the degree to which I'm prepared to let God into my life and stop holding him at arm's length in areas and stop keeping it at head level or keeping it about theology or keeping it about fact and who's right and and history. Forget about that. Who you are, you're probably wrong about that. Who God is, you don't even know the half of it. And he wants to be a wellspring in your life. Will you close your eyes? Thank you, Lord, that as we were singing, on a hill that you created, you came and allowed us to kill you. That your love for us was so extravagant and generous that you let it kill you. But your power and your goodness couldn't let you stay dead. You defeated death. And in defeating death, you defeated all brokenness. And for every single one of us, this powerful, good, loving God, this Father with this heart that is overflowing with love for us, can't remain a concept, can't remain a theory. Jesus, take us to your Father. Father, we want to know you. We want to give you access to our lives. Our little orphan hearts have been crying out for you since the first day we were on this planet. We long to be connected to you, Father, more than anything else. We want your voice to shape what we think is true. We want your eye to lead us into different things. We want you to guide us to the incredible wells of eternal life that you want to have for us. We want to partner with you in the calling and the adventure that you've got in store for us. And so where we have been keeping you at arm's length, where we have been distracted, where we have been changing the subject, we are sorry. We repent. That was wrong. There is no other relationship in our lives that matters more than this one. There is no one else on earth who we trust more than you. There is no one else who will ever love us anywhere near as much as you love us. If you um, have in some area recognized that you've been holding God at arm's length, that you've had a a boundary or a barrier up in some part of your life, do you want to just stick your hand up? I'm not going to ask you to say anything. No one will see. But if you just want to let God into an area of your life where you've been keeping him at bay, just stick your hand up. I'd like us to pray together. That's great. That's great. That's great. Anyone else? You just want to pray a prayer of intimacy with God. That's great. You want to know him more. You want to let him know you more. God, we trust you. And we're sorry for where we have allowed whatever experiences to cause us to fear you. We can't fear someone who loves us as much as you love us. It's crazy that we've become afraid of you or mistrusting of you. 
And so we give you access to our lives. We give you access to our hearts. We want to live in the, the love that you have for us. We want to take our cue from our relationship with you more than anything else. And Lord, as a people, we resolve to pursue you and to pursue intimacy with you above all else. More than doing good things for you, more than advancing our careers, more than caring for people, more than providing for our families, more than anything else, we are going to pursue you single-mindedly, wholeheartedly, passionately. And to find our, our lives are the result of the overflow of that relationship. We pray this in Jesus' amazing name who allows this all to be possible. Amen.